This episode of Awards Chatter is brought to you by Universal Television, presenting Girls 5 Eva. Girls 5 Eva follows a one-hit wonder 90s girl group who attempts a comeback while hilariously navigating family and relationships, plus the joys and pains of middle age. The show stars Sarah Bareilles, Renee Elise Goldsbury, Paula Pell, and Busy Phillips. Don't miss the series critics call the funniest show on television. Girls 5 Eva is now streaming on Netflix and is for your Emmy consideration for Outstanding Comedy Series and all other eligible categories. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hi, everyone, and thank you for joining us for the 479th episode of the Hollywood Reporters Awards Chatter Podcast. I'm the host, Scott Feinberg, and for those of you tuning in, we are recording this episode in front of an audience of students at Chapman University, where I'm a trustee professor. My guest today is a fantastic actor whose journey from 1980s child stardom in films like 1984's Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom and 1985's The Goonies to an Oscar nomination this year for Everything Everywhere All at Once is nothing short of incredible. A 51-year-old Vietnamese-born man, he was, as the Associated Press put it, one of the most incredible faces and voices of the 1980s. And as GQ noted, he was also, at the time, one of the only visible Asian faces in any Western media, much less two of the biggest blockbusters on the planet. And then, for more than two decades, he disappeared from the public eye, but not from the business he loved. The story of his return to acting which has resulted in Gotham, Golden Globe, Critics' Choice, New York Film Critics Circle, Los Angeles Film Critics Association, and National Society of Film Critics Awards, as well as a BAFTA nomination and pending Spirit, SAG, and Academy Award nominations, could be a movie itself. Indeed, he is now poised to become the first Asian male to ever win an individual SAG Award for acting in film, and only the second Asian performer to ever take home the Best Supporting Actor Oscar the first since Hang S. Noor for The Killing Fields 38 years ago. To quote a recent piece in the Los Angeles Times, F. Scott Fitzgerald famously said, there are no second acts in American lives, but he'd never met Kihei Kwan. Would you please join me in welcoming to Chapman University, Mr. Kihei Kwan. Wow, this is incredible. Thank you so much for coming. Thank you, thank you. Wow. Thank you so much for coming. Oh, you know what? I was going to... I don't know, man. I'm trying not to cry tonight, okay? But I think (laughs) this is a bad start for me. (laughs) So, Key, let's start at the very beginning. Where were you born, and what did your folks do for a living? Oh, I I was born in uh, Vietnam, in Saigon, it used to be called Saigon, it's called Ho Chi Minh City now, to Chinese parents. And, uh, and my dad uh, is a businessman. He, uh, he owned a factory that, that manufactures trash bags. Uh, and my mom, at that time, owned a clothing store. Uh, but then when, 
you know, uh, when they give up everything they had to get our entire family here to the United States, uh, it was tough for them. Uh, so to me, to this day, they, they are the heroes of, 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 of in my life. To the, yeah. <laughs> to whatever extent you're comfortable talking about this, I mean, your story of ending up in L.A. in 1979 is almost as crazy as this story, odds-defying, as the story of your comeback in, in film. I would say comp- these are the two unbelievable journeys you've taken. And I just wonder, you know, um, I think it helps people to understand how far you've come if you would be willing to tell a little bit about what brought you to L.A. You know, first of all, when first, thank you so much for that amazing introduction. As you were just um, saying all these things, it, it made me think that it could have ended very badly. Uh, you know, uh, and it's true. Uh, uh, we, yeah, my, my parents decided to, you know, they wanted a better life for us. And of course, this is a very different time. Vietnam now is, is a wonderful country where uh, it's visited by many people every year. Uh, but this was like right after the Vietnam War. Everything has changed. And my, and my parents, you know, felt that they have saved up enough money and they, did, they didn't see a future for us in Vietnam. Uh, and, uh, and they, and they wanted to do something for us. Uh, and it was literally, you know, we would, you know, get on a boat in the middle of the night paid for with, you know, not local currency, but gold sheets. Uh, and we made two attempts. The first attempt we failed, we got caught, uh, we were jailed and then we were released and my parents would lose everything they had. Uh, and then they would work really hard again to save up enough money. Uh, and the second attempt, they decided that, you know, we would do it different this time. The first time, all nine of us, plus my parents, 11, escaped together. The second time, they go, well, we have to, you know, do it in, in separately. So just in case if one of us get caught, the other one would, 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 would be able to, uh, you know, go to America and, and, and get the rest of the family out. So my mom took three of my siblings, went to Malaysia, and, uh, and my, my father took me and five of my siblings and we went to Hong Kong. And when we, when we were at the, at the shore of Hong Kong, it was a, you know, it was a boat with 3,000 refugees uh, and the local government didn't know what to do with us. And they were scrambling to talk to every country out there to see that they would, you know, they would give us, you know, political asylum and, and get us off of, of Hong Kong. Uh, and so we ended up staying in, in a refugee camp for an entire year uh, before all the paperwork was ready. And, uh, and, and that's how we reunited with the rest of the family in Los Angeles in 1979. Now, was there any reason for why, why you all chose Los Angeles as the meeting place? I, I think it's because uh, uh, my parents some, had some friends who, you know, made, you know, successfully immigrated to Los Angeles. Uh, and then what got back to them saying that Los Angeles is this beautiful city. Uh, if you, if you can choose anywhere, you should come to LA. And so we ended up, uh, immigrating here to Los Angeles. And of course, you know, that decision would change the course of my life. Totally. Because among other, many other reasons in 1983, just four years after you got to Los Angeles, 
how did you wind up accompanying your younger brother, David, to a film audition? You had had nothing to do with film up to that point. I think you were in a Chinese school in the Los Angeles area. Just how do you wind up even going on this trip with your younger brother? Well, you know, uh, uh, Spielberg and Lucas uh, were looking for a, a Chinese kid to, uh, to be in Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. And they went everywhere. They went to London, Singapore, Hong Kong, San Francisco, New York, couldn't find what they were looking for, was about to give up the role when the casting director, thank God, said, why don't we, you know, have an open call in Chinatown, Los Angeles? Now, this is 1979. So Chinatown, Los Angeles had a very, very small Asian community, and they didn't think they would find it there. Uh, so they went to my elementary school called Castellar. Uh, and uh, the casting director told the teachers and said, if you have any student that fit this description, can you bring him in? We would love to talk to him. And, uh, and my brother's teacher thought he was perfect. So he went and I tagged along. Uh, and, and I ended up, uh, <laughs> you know. But as, but as he was auditioning, I was behind the camera coaching him what to do. Uh, <laughs> And, uh, yeah, and, and I ended up, uh, you know, catching the attention of the, the casting director. This is Mike Fenton, the casting director? Fenton, exactly. So you, let's just remind folks, and in fact, they'll get an extra reminder after this talk because we are going to screen Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom here right after this talk. Wow. Um, but this is a movie in which you played Short Round, this orphan 12-year-old sidekick of an occasional savior of Indiana Jones, played by Harrison Ford, as they go from Shanghai through the Himalayas and all sorts of adventures in between. I'll also note, and I don't know if he's backstage or, or here, but one of the film's set designers, Richard Holland, is a teacher professor here at Chapman. So there's another Chapman connection. I know you just saw him. But um, this is the character, so you you you... You go in for this audition, or, you're, you know, you go with your brother. They say, do you want to audition, Key? At that moment, who's in the room, and did you know who they were at that time? Uh, no, I did not. Uh, it was at a time where we just immigrated to, to the United States. We didn't have anything. My parents were heavily in debt, uh, so we could barely afford, you know, putting food on the table. So there was no way that my parents would take me to a movie theater and, you know, and spend that kind of money. Uh, and, um, and so when we got the call the next day after, my, after that open call, uh, my mom thought it was a fancy meeting. Uh, you know, she heard Hollywood, big directors, big movie star. So, you know, she, she, you know, she put me in this, like, absurd and uncomfortable three-piece suit. <laughs> uh, and, uh, and, and I went to Stephen's office. Uh, he took one look at me and saw how uncomfortable I was, gave me a hug and, and asked me to go back the next day, uh, which I did. I walked in the room and there was Harrison Ford, George Lucas, and Steven Spielberg. And, uh, and we spent an entire afternoon together. And three weeks later, I was on a flight to Sri Lanka. Uh, and that's where we shot uh, Temple of Doom. So you had seen Star Wars, so you knew Han Solo was in the room, right? No, I had Oh, you not. hadn't seen Star Wars I hadn't, yet. I hadn't seen E.T., Jaws, or Star Raiders. Wars. So I didn't know who they were. Okay, okay. So, uh, in fact, I finished the entire movie without knowing who they are. It's probably a lot easier to yeah. work with them that way. Yeah, but, but then, I mean, of course, you know, in retrospect, there was one afternoon where we were shooting in one of the sound stages in, in London, in Elwood Street Studios, uh, Mark Hamill... 
and Carrie Fisher came to visit. <laughs> and so this entire afternoon, I was playing, you know, I was hanging out with Han Solo, Luke Skywalker, and Princess Leia, and I had no idea. <laughs> Just nice people. Yeah. Um, I know that you've said uh, Harrison taught you how to swim. Uh, Steven behind the camera would sort of, again, remembering this is your first film, would kind of give you directions while the camera was rolling so that obviously then cut around it, but so that, you know, you could be kind of uh, reassured. Um, what stands out the most in your memory in terms of just the making that whole time? Because it was several months, right, that you guys were making this epic, epic film. What, what do you remember the most about that time? Uh, how much fun we had. I mean, honestly, it's been, it's been almost four decades, and I still look back on this experience with nothing but fond memories. Uh, I, I remember uh, just having, you know, the best of times with, you know, on set with these, all, all these grown-ups uh, and, and them treating me with nothing but kindness and love and, and, uh, and, and so much, there was so much joy there. Uh, and I just remember Harrison Ford, if I'm not in the scene with him, he's always behind the camera. He didn't go back to his trailer. He was behind the camera helping Steven to feed me lines to help Steven get the performance out of me. Uh, and we was just this family that were together for five months making this movie that I didn't know was a sequel to one of the biggest movies right. of all time. <laughs> well, that was the next thing I was going to kind of get into is you finish the production of the movie and you go back to school according to... So I found the first interview you ever gave. They said um, it was Starlog Magazine, I believe, they, and which I don't even think exists anymore. But they basically were interviewing you and, and you said that you went back to school and when kids asked you if you had worked with... I guess Han Solo or whoever, you actually denied it until the trailer came out. What was that about? Well, I, I didn't. I didn't want the attention. Uh, again, I mean, I didn't know because you know it was my first movie. I didn't know what it looked like. It was you know what I had. I, I had no clue. I, I just all I know was that I had the most fun for five months, and then afterwards I went back to school. Uh, and <laughs> and of course I remember when the movie came out then that was a big deal. And when I went back to school, I, I was all of a sudden, you know, uh, a hero to everybody. Uh, was it, was it a, an easy adjustment or was it a little jarring for a kid to be suddenly treated differently? It, it, was, uh, it was quite surreal because all of a sudden I was getting all these attention versus, I mean, you know, I grew up in a big family, so I was constantly fighting for attention at home uh, and all of a sudden the spotlight was on me. I was getting all these attention everywhere I go. People would, you know, would know me. Uh, and that was, uh, that was initially was taking, you know, it, it took a little getting used to, but I mean, I think with everybody, it's only human that you fall in love with that very, very quickly. <laughs> uh, and you didn't have a lot of time to process it either because the Goonies, which Spielberg produced, uh, executive produced was very soon afterwards, right? Quite soon afterwards. Yeah. And that meant that in this case, this time you didn't have to go through a audition process, right? He just wanted you. Yeah. No, no. He, the, the role was written for me. Yes. Yeah. And the role is data, this inventive tech obsessed, uh, member of a group of kids from small town, Oregon, 
who fight the power. Richard Donner directing The Goonies, 1985. First, just because it's another one of your kind of, it can't be a coincidence that you have so many kind of lovely stories in your life. Let, let me ask you this before we even talk about that movie. After that movie, you and Steven Spielberg, maybe you didn't see each other regularly, but how often did you hear from Spielberg? Every year during Christmas time, I would get a Christmas present from him. And, and I still do to this day. It's been, it's been 39 years. Uh, in fact, uh, recently when I, when I got the Oscar nomination, he sent me this beautiful gift and with a, with, a, with, a, with a card that brought tears to my eyes. Uh, and yeah, he's, that, he's this sweet person, humble, kind, uh, remembers everyone he's ever worked with. Uh, and any time and every time I needed help, if I were to make that phone call, he would be there right away, no matter how busy he, he is. That's great. And now you guys will both be at the Oscars as nominees this year, which is a pretty full circle moment. But on, on that movie, I guess the difference from, you know, the Goonies from uh, Temple of Doom is now you're not the only kid, right? There are a whole bunch of other young actors. We've got uh, Sean Astin, Corey Feldman. Tell me about tell me about working with in that way for the first time, being around other kids. And then also tell me about the individual who played Chunk, Jeff Cohen, and how your relationship has evolved over, since then. Well, it, it was a very different experience for me. I learned a lot on The Goonies because all of a sudden, I mean, even though it was the first movie for a lot of them, but oh my gosh, they, they came to set knowing the lines, knowing how to hit their marks, uh, and they were so professional. And I felt like, I, even though I just came off of this big movie, I felt like I was the amateur. They were the pros. Uh, and they knew where the camera was. They knew how to, how to look good on camera. And so it was a learning curve for me. And again, it was like I realized all of a sudden that I was not the center of attention anymore. I was one of seven. And I revert back to how I was at home, I would have to fight for attention. <laughs> uh, and, I, and, and, and to this day, I, you know, we had such a great time. We bonded as a family, especially Jeff Cohen and I. Uh, we, you know, we just hung out, became good friends over the years. Uh, he is, you know, uh, as you, some of you may know, he's a, a really good and successful entertainment lawyer now. He's my lawyer. Uh, and he did the deal for everything, everywhere, all at once, which yeah. is just too perfect. Another yeah. full. When, when, they, when full he was circle. talking to my producer, the, my producer had a really surreal moment. Yeah. Uh, all of a sudden, he realized, like, oh my gosh, I cannot believe I'm talking to Chunk to get data <laughs> to, get to, data. Be, <laughs> to be my movie. <laughs> so, two great movies right out of the gate, very positive experiences. And then, I guess, to an extent, the reality of the world at that time sort of began to sink in, which is that um, you had some roles on TV series, Nothing is Easy, and then season four of the ABC sitcom, Head of the Class, a few other things. But as things, I guess, were maybe somewhat slowing down, you also began to be credited on screen as Jonathan Key Kwan. Can you share why that happened? Well, when, when those opportunities dried up, and, and, and it was really difficult. And I was, again, uh, when you're spending a lot of time just waiting, a lot of insecurities start to take place. And you start to wonder, what can I do different 
that can change how things, you know, you know, how change the status quo. Uh, and and I, you know, I was thinking, oh, maybe it's the name. Uh, my manager suggested at that time is he, you know, a lot of people can't pronounce your name. So I think you need a more American sounding name. So immediately I thought if that was going to help get me more roles, I would, I would be all for that. So I, I changed my name from Ki Hui Kwan to Jonathan Ki Kwan. Uh, and thinking that that would change because now people, the casting directors, uh, uh, would reckon, you know, hopefully that it would make it easier for them to remember that didn't help and now I was in uncharted territory because just coming off of those two huge movies and I had two really two things going for me at that time that was uh that was more difficult one uh you know it's tough to to go from child actor to an adult actor so I was hitting puberty uh I was changing the looks you know I looked, I, I looked different I sounded different uh, and second, at that time, being an Asian actor made it even more difficult. But I didn't understand any of that. All I was confused about was how come I can't get another job? Uh, I didn't have the maturity to think that they were just not writing roles for Asian actors. And I guess the moment you've said there's, I guess, a moment in 1993 where you go into an, uh, another audition and came away just saying, this is not worth it anymore. What, what happened at that audition? Uh, I was auditioning for a role with no name, with two lines. I walk in the room and there was 30 other Asian actors waiting, fighting for this tiny, tiny role. Uh, but then, you know, it was at a time where I hadn't worked for an entire year. So I was willing to do anything to be in front of the camera again. Uh, and walk, you know, went home. Uh, thought I did a really good job, thought I had a good chance of that. I mean, come on. I mean, I, I was in the, in the room. The casting director said, oh, my God, we love you in, 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 in Indiana Jones. You were great in the Goonies. I go, wow. I mean, that's got to, you know, have some leverage. Right. Went home, waited for a week, nothing. So was there ever a conversation with your parents or others where you just said, that's it, I'm done? Or did it just sort of... I guess a moment came where you had to decide what you want to do because you ended up at USC film school, which itself is a major um, achievement. But I wondered, was that just sort of biding time in, in case something came along, uh, another acting opportunity? Or, or had you just said, all right, that's it, time to focus on other things? Well, first, this is 93. And I didn't go to college until 95. So I actually gave myself another two years to see if things would turn, uh, uh, turn around. And also, I never had that conversation with my family because I didn't want them to worry about me. That's, I guess, in retrospect, that made it even more difficult because I grew up in a very traditional Chinese value family where we don't share our struggles. Uh, and, uh, and so I, I, I remember locking myself in, in my room a lot of times, just like so confused, struggling, dispirited, disheartened. And, uh, and I just didn't know what to do. I was so lost and I had nobody to talk to. I didn't want to talk to my parents. I didn't want to talk to my siblings, but they knew, they knew I was struggling because they were working Everybody was going, you know, they had their, they had their job. They all had their businesses. And I was just at home most of the time. And, and I didn't want to spend my life like that, especially when I was in my 20s. 
So when you went off to USC film school, was that um, with the idea, all right, I want to get into directing. I want to get into, was there something specific or just, I know I want to remain involved with the film industry, but I'm not sure yet how. I wanted to, I, I love the movie industry so much. I wanted to expand my, my, my knowledge because up to that point, I only had but the perspective of, of, of an actor. So my field of vision was very narrow. It was only in front of the camera and my fellow actors. Uh, and uh, I didn't, you know, when I watched a movie, I was always focused on the performance, on the actors and, and the story, but I knew nothing how to put a movie together. The editing, the, the, the cinematography, the production design, I knew nothing uh, uh, like that. So I wanted to go to film school and, and learn more. And thank God I did because all of a sudden my perspective expanded. Uh, and, and to this day, when I walk on a set, it's because of film school, I see everybody now. I, I you know, I, I see the, the production assistant. I see the boom operator. I see the dolly. I see the, the gaffer. I see, you know, the, 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 the assistants to, to, uh, to the prop master. Uh, and, and, and all of a sudden, I just, I, I, I see everybody. Uh, and also, it was at a time where... I found my footing. It was at film school. I was surrounded by people who share the same passion as me. And also we spoke the same language, uh, which, you know, I, my family, none of them went into the arts. Uh, so I, a lot of times I felt very lonely. Uh, I didn't know who to talk to, but then all of a sudden I had so many friends. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You graduated in 1999, and within a very short amount of time, you were at work um, for a guy named Corey Yoon. Now, for people who don't know who that is, how did you know who he was, and what did he propose to you? See, here's the interesting part. I think our movie, you know, poses the question, what if? I met Corey Yuan when I was 18 years old, uh, and he came... With, a, with this producer, with a script, uh, with a big check, and say, we want you to star in our next movie. And I didn't know at that time they were huge filmmakers in Hong Kong. Uh, and they said, all you have to do is just sign this piece of paper. We'll be making this great movie together. And at that time, I was contractually uh, tied to another project. And, and it broke my heart to say no. Uh, and believe it or not, here's a story that I never told. Uh, they, when they were so disappointed, they went back to Hong Kong, they changed the script, and they found an actor, a young upcoming actor named Stephen Chow. Wow. And of course, we all know what happened to the career of Stephen Chow. Uh, so when I was struggling as an actor, uh, I was thinking, oh my gosh, what would have happened had I, had I said yes to that movie and went to Hong Kong and, 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 and did a movie with them? Uh, but that didn't happen. And that made it even worse. 
And, uh, and that's why for the longest time, I was just so confused, you know. But now you hear from Corey again after you graduate. Yeah, got a call from him. Uh, he said, I heard you just graduated from film school. And I said, yes. He says, pack your bags. Um, uh, I got a plane ticket for you. Uh, you're going to fly to Toronto. And I said, okay. <laughs> got on a plane, landed in Toronto, walked on the set, and I realized that it was the X-Men. The first one. First one right out, of, right out of the gate, right out of film school. And what was he doing there? What did he want you to do there? Well, he, w- he was just hired to be the, the action uh, choreographer, action director for the Wolverine and Mystique fight sequence up in the, uh, the Statue of Liberty. And, uh, and he needed help. Because uh, that was like months of on that specific sequence, right? Yeah. We spent, we spent almost three months in Toronto, and it was him, two assistant action choreographers. I was one of them, and then a translator for him, uh, and it was just the four of us. And we, we, we uh, came up with that sequence, and we trained Hugh Jackman. We trained, uh, uh, you know, the actress who played uh, Mystique, Rebecca Romaine. And all of a sudden, I was really happy again. I was on set. It was where I met Kevin Feige. And he was just an, an associate producer at that time. Right. And uh, yeah, uh, all of a sudden I, 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 felt, I, I felt hopeful again. And this was the beginning of you being involved with, I guess, action sequences, martial arts, directing uh, special parts of movies. I guess right after that you did another with Corey, The One, which, by the way, features a multiverse of its own. But on that one, I think it was on, on that one that you come to another thing that you would then spend a few years doing, which was working with Wong Kar Wai. How did, can you connect the dots there? Yeah, I, I, I met Wong Kar Wai through a mutual friend. Yeah. And, uh, and I, you know, I saw In the Mood for Love, absolutely fell in love with that movie. In fact, it's one of my favorite movies of all time. Uh, and he was this, you know, he's really tall, six feet two, always in sunglasses, and I was just mesmerized <laughs> by him. And, you know, he's a man of few words. So when you sit down and you talk to him, he doesn't, he doesn't you know, he's not verbose like me. Uh, and I was, I was just like, I, I just thought like he was this genius that I, I want to learn from. And, and thank God he said, uh, he says, Keith, would you like to, to come work for me? And I said, only if you, I was in his office at that time. He says, only, I said, only if you uh, sign me a DVD copy of In the Mood for Love. <laughs> Yeah, like, as if, like, if he didn't sign, right, I would say yeah, no. Yeah, really. <laughs> uh, and then he got, he got up from his seat, went over to his, uh, to his uh, 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 shelf, pulled out his own In the Mood for Love copy, signed it in front of me, and he says, welcome to Gento. His company, yeah. 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 That's awesome. So working for the next few years with him, and he takes several years on each project and really is very deliberative about everything, right? You worked with him on the movie 2046, which came out in 2004, starring Tony Lung. Tell us about what you, what kind of work you were doing with, this is one of the international masters with Wong Kar Wai, director Wong, and what you took away from that. Because what's amazing, again, just you talk about all the different ways life could have been different. All of these different skills you acquire and all these random, seemingly random things you did kind of come back around when we get to everything everywhere all at once. So just what did you 
take away from your time with director Wong? He really, he really opened my eyes. He sees things so differently. Uh, and I think prior to working for him, I, you know, I, my, again, even though I had this like knowledge from film school, my, my vision was still very narrow minded. And, uh, and through the number of years that I worked for him, he really like, he's his key. There's, you know, it, it's, there's, there's stuff here that you're not seeing. You need to open up. Uh, and, and that's what I learned from him. Uh, I also learned perseverance. More so from him than any other filmmaker. Uh, because when we were doing uh, 2046, every single year he would, uh, this is for five years, every single year he would tell me we need to hurry up because there's a deadline for Cannes. Uh, and it would come and it would go, we would miss the deadline. <laughs> the following year he would say the same thing. <laughs> and then we would miss the deadline again. Uh, but even when, when I saw people were panicking around him uh, because we were just missing, you know, deadline after deadline, he was just so calm and collected. And, uh, and he would just really stay focused on that one thing he wanted to do, which was to make the best movie he can. And honestly, this is what, this is what happens when you make great art. Like I saw the crew members, I saw the actors getting frustrated because there was, you know, at that time there was no end in sight. It would just go on and on and on. And people would go, oh my gosh, it's so frustrating because we don't know what the story's about. We don't know what the movie's about. And once when that's done and they're sitting in the, in the audience and they're watching the movie for the first time and blown away by that masterpiece, then everything, all the hardship that they went through goes right out the window. And the first thing they ask him is, when are we doing this again? Right, right, you know? right. Uh, and that's the, you know, that's the, the, the power of Wong Kar Wai. We also owe him a thank you for one other pretty important thing. Can you introduce the person who you met through him? Yeah, this, this, this person changed my life. Uh, uh, I met this woman uh, while we were working for Wong Kar Wai, and I remember there was one night... Uh, we all had dinner together, and, and Kawe was sitting next to me, and he, you know, he leaned over and says, hey, what do you think about, you know, Echo? And I said, I think she's great. And he says, don't you think she will make a great wife? <laughs> and, and we weren't even dating at that time. <laughs> and I go, really? I go, and, I, and then from that, from that night on, I, I looked at Echo differently. And, and not soon after that, I asked her, you know, out on a date. Uh, we dated two years, and I proposed after that. And this woman is the reason why I'm able to play Wayman. Uh, for, for, for 20 years, when I was struggling, uh, she, would, she would always believed in me. Never, her, 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 her support for me never wavered. Uh, and she kept saying, one day, one day, you will, you will find your way back. And I had no idea what she was talking about, because I didn't even know what I wanted. Uh, and sure enough, here we are. So. And would Echo take a bow then? She's here. Where is she? There she is. <laughs> Thank you. So you mentioned there's all these years where these other things are going on and you're having your own family take shape and all of that. What was the moment 
because I think there was one where you said, wait a minute, maybe I need to revisit my decision to table acting. What was the moment? You know, it didn't, it didn't happen like overnight. When I was working for Kauai and, and you know, we were shooting 2046 and I would watch Tony Leung does this thing in front of the camera. And there was a little piece of me that wish that, oh, wouldn't it be great if I get to do that? Uh, but then very quickly, I would, I would just get that thought out of my mind uh, because I have buried that acting bug. I thought so deep and so, you know, so far that, that it, would, it would never find its way back. Uh, but then over the years, of course, the landscape t- started to change for Asian actors. And we were not just playing, you know, marginalized or stereotypical roles anymore, but it was, just, it was, it was more meaningful. Uh, to the point where we would have an entire television show uh, called Fresh Off the Boat with an, you know, with an Asian cast. And I go, wow, you know, things are really different. And then, you know, it was just like, it was just little you know, moments here and there when I would watch TV or when I would go to watch a movie. And I, you know, that, that idea, but it was very faint in the beginning. Uh, and it was not until Crazy Rich Asians came out and I saw it, uh, and I, I remember the first time I saw it, the movie was over, the credits rolled, I was still sitting in the, in the seat, and I was, I was just crying because it was, it was such a, a lovely movie, uh, and everybody was just walking out, and it was there that I felt, wow, wouldn't it be great if I were up on the screen with them? That was the first time that it, that voice came back, louder than before and then I would watch it the second time and then the second time when I saw it I was envisioning myself all these different roles that I could play and then that voice would come back even louder and I would push it away uh and it was not until it was so loud in my in my in my head I couldn't ignore it any longer. And one night I, I sat my wife down and I said, hey, uh, I, I've been really thinking about this, but I don't know if this is a good idea. You know, what would you think if I, if I, if I were to be an actor again? I remember that conversation and that conversation lasted an entire year because I was so afraid that I would, I would not be good. Second, no one, I didn't even know if anybody want, would want me. Oh my gosh, it's been 20 years. Why would anybody hire an actor that stepped away from acting for so long? Uh, and and all, that, all those fears that I had, all those insecurities that I had when, when I was much younger, wow, they came back so strong. Uh, and and, and uh, any desire that I had, the, all those fears just came rushing, I mean, just flooded you know, my passion for acting. Uh, and, but that voice wouldn't go away. It kept coming back. And no matter how, how, how strong, how, how much I pushed it away, it'll keep coming back stronger and louder every single time until the fear of me. And I, all of a sudden, one night, I just see myself as a 60-year-old, as a 70-year-old, looking back and says, wow, how dare you not, give this another try since you love it so much. And what that meant was getting a new agent, right? Putting your saying, you know, I'm back, 
any any takers. How long after that? Because this is another just absolutely insane thing. You, because we know we know what it's like first to just get an agent in this business, then to get a real opportunity. How soon after getting your new agent did you then hear about? everything everywhere. All you know, I was expecting another year would go by and I not hear from them because that was such a common thing for me back then. I would not hear from my agent for six months or a year. Uh, two weeks later, <laughs> two weeks later, my phone rang uh, and they said, there's this little movie that stars Michelle Yeoh. Uh, it was a great role, and I'm thinking, yeah, you know, agents all say great role, right? <laughs> I'm, th- I'm like thinking, oh, maybe it's another bit role that that that. But I, I but I was up for it. I I didn't care. Right. I was just so hungry, so eager to step in front of the camera again. Uh, and he says, uh, did, did, would you like to go in? I said, of course, I would like to go in an audition for them. And then, a couple of days pass, and all of a sudden, like this is unbeknownst to me, of course. At the same time, the Daniels were on the internet searching for me. I mean, talk about destiny, talk about fate. And, correct me if I'm wrong, but I mean, the thing, in a weird way, we have Andrew Yang to thank for this, right? Yeah, they, they saw, uh, someone made a joke on Facebook. It was a picture of Andrew Yang and the caption says, short round is all grown up and running for president. <laughs> uh, so, uh, in, in fact, I, I met him, I met him too afterwards. <laughs> Uh, and, uh, yeah. And then, and then once when they found out that I was about to go in and audition for them, they said, key, before you do that, read the script. They sent me the script and they asked me to watch their first movie, the Swiss Army Man, which I fell in love immediately with them. This is the farting corpse. Yeah. Movie. Farting yes. corpse. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Uh, and then when I read the script, I, uh, all of a sudden it, it like, it, it, it's, it's just like, I, I resonated, you know, with the story, I see myself in, in, as Wayman. Uh, and I started to have all these wonderful images of me playing him. All the stuff that I want to, all those life experiences that I had. I just, I just, I wanted to, and I saw so clearly all the three different versions of him. And so when you now have to go in for an audition, what did they ask you to kind of play all three or what were they looking for? It, it was, it was, it was, uh, it was a scene where I sw- it was in the elevator scene where I switched from Wayman to Alpha Wayman. <laughs> and because I wanted this role so bad, I called my agent. I said, I need help. Find me the best acting coach. I want to do a couple of sessions with him before I go in an audition for Daniels. And, uh, and so we caused the casting director to have them postpone the, the, the audition. Uh, so I, I did a couple of sessions with, with, with him, went in, auditioned. I was in the room for 30 minutes, which is a long time for any actor to be in the room. I thought I did a really good job. Then nothing happens for another two months. Not a word. Yeah, not, nothing uh, and again, those two excruciating uh, uh, months was painful. This also just might be a time to insert. You had told your wife that you were obviously looking to get back into acting, but you didn't tell my family. Why was that? Because one, I didn't know if, if any, I would, I would get a job. I, I didn't want to get the hopes up again. And I, cause I felt like back when I was much younger, I, I, I've disappointed them. I've let them down. I, I felt like I, I, you know, I, I've squandered, you know, the opportunities that my parents gave me. 
I mean, they gave up everything they had. So I, I, there was this, just this long period of time where I was miserable because I, I really felt like, so I didn't, want to, I didn't want to disappoint them again without knowing, one, if I can do this, and second, if anybody would, would want me. So nobody knew. After two months, what's the, what happens? The phone rings? Yeah, the phone rings, and uh, they say, we want you to come in uh, and audition. They gave me a different scene where I have to cry. It was the scene where I, I give that powerful speech, please be kind. Can and, I, I, uh, I just have to say, Key, that the one thing, when you were a child actor in that very first interview that I mentioned where it was around the time of Temple of Doom, you said, quote, I can do everything but crying, although sometimes I can manage that. Usually they have to put tears on my eyes. So all these years later, was that a little daunting that they now wanted you to do a crying scene? Yeah, I, I was. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I, again, I, I, there was so much pressure and I knew it was, it was, it was, I knew it was a test to see if I can emotionally go there. Uh, and I think this is a testament to, to how beautiful those speeches are, the dialogue. Uh, and again, I mean, I was in the room with them and then the minute I start uttering, you know, please, can we just stop fighting? Uh, and I could not help myself. And then, of course, after that audition, I thought I did a really good job. I walked out. I saw another Asian actor waiting to read for the same role. He was taller. He was better looking. He, he looked like he walked out of the GQ magazine. Uh, and I go, oh, my gosh. I walked in. I literally put my head down, walked in the elevator, called my agent. And I said, you know what? I, I did everything I could. I tried my best. I gave it my all, but I don't think they're going to give it to me. And how quickly were you disabused of that notion? Uh, a, a week later. A week later. <laughs> uh, I got to call. And the funny thing is, it was, it was Jeff Cohen, who was Chunk from the Goonies. Right. And my agent were on the phone. And, uh, and, and Jeff starts the conversation with, hey, Key, you know, sometimes life is tough, you know. <laughs> sometimes, you know, you get what you want, and sometimes you don't get what you want. And I go, oh, gosh, he's going to tell me that I didn't get the role. Uh, and it went on and on and on. And, my agent, <laughs> and then my agent was like, couldn't take it anymore. He says, Kiki, Kiki, don't listen to him. You just got the role. <laughs> uh, and I was, I was so, so excited. I, 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 I was screaming at the top of my lungs. Uh, and my wife came running in, didn't know, didn't know what happened. <laughs> she thought, she thought something happened to me. And then. I didn't have to say a single word. She saw me. Tears by then was, uh, uh, was just streaming down my face. And uh, she came over and gave me a big hug. In fact, the two months that we didn't hear from Daniels, every single day, my wife would say, don't worry. You will get this role. And she, yeah, yeah and she, she always believed in it. Yeah. You know? So the thing is, it's not just one role. It's... You could say three. You could even say 200 because there's so many little ones. But the main three, the laundromat owner slash husband of Evelyn, Michelle Yeoh's character, the martial arts master, and then the movie star version who is very much modeled, it seems, on the Wong Kar Wai heroes, including the perhaps, you know, one that you might have worked on. So that's one example of how your past comes back. And let's just say it's not like they changed the script because you were cast. You fit 
it was like it was uh, it was meant to be. The martial arts guy, you taught martial arts. The the movie star guy, as we said, was like the Wong Kar Wai character. Um, in fact, there's other things here that we have to just kind of note how eerie it is. There was a, a couple of references to things that are said. I don't know if this was deliberately added or what, but references to your earlier films. When you yell at Evelyn to snap out of it, that's a line from Temple of Doom. Coincidence or not? Oh, I don't know. I think that's, that's, a, that's, the, that's the question for the Daniels. Daniels, but, uh, okay. When you tell Evelyn it's not too late, she says, that's very funny, which is short rounds line from Temple of Doom. Anyway, I mean, I guess, did you feel when you show up 38 days over eight weeks on a nothing budget? Now it looks like a really expensive, high VFX thing. They basically literally hired a few guys from Orange County to do the VFX, like literally not a, um, and so you're doing this 38 days over eight weeks in a converted office building in LA. Did you have any idea while you were making this, that this movie was going to be anything? No, none of us (laughs) did. None of us did. I mean, we thought we had a really good script. Uh, we thought we had, you know, two great directors, Great actors, you know, with Michelle Yeoh, Jamie Lee Curtis, James Hong. Uh, and we just had fun. I mean, every single day we would uh, roll camera and we would not stop until the Daniels had their entire shot list completed. And we would start all over again the next day for 38 days. And um, what was that first day back like? The first scene? I think you were in some pretty heavy hitter company. Yeah, it, you know, I going in, I, I spent a lot of time prepping for this role. So I was comfortable before I walked in front of the camera. In fact, you know, this, that's why it, it, sometimes it, I feel like it's meant to be. I remember reading uh, uh, one day and I found this really interesting article. It was an interview with Margot Robbie. And she talked about how every, with every role she does, you know, she would hire a body movement coach. And I had, I never heard of a body movement coach before. So I go, what, what is that? So I dig deeper and I did research on it. And I realized because at that time in my head, I knew I wanted to, these three different versions of Wayman, I wanted it to be very, very different and very clear to the audience that they are different characters. Uh, and, I, and I asked my agent, I said, can you please get me that body movement coach that coaches Margot Robbie and Leonardo DiCaprio? And he's expensive, <laughs> and uh, but I but I didn't care, yeah. uh, and uh, and it was that made a big difference in in my performance. Well, because you, I mean, when we previously spoke, you did nice enough to do the Hollywood Reporter's Actor Roundtable, which you can go and watch. But what you said there was a squirrel an inspiration for Wayman. Yeah, for <laughs> for 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 the uh, for the tax Wayman, yeah. the uh, the meek you know manner. Uh, Evelyn husband, that was a squirrel. And, and I was like watching videos of, of nothing but squirrels on YouTube <laughs> for hours. And I would have in my office, I would have pictures that like I, I printed out like 30 different looking, you know, looking uh, squirrels uh, and they would be all over the place. So I, I just felt for my wife for like an entire month that she had to walk around and just look at pictures of squirrels. And, and you swinging fanny packs, right? Fanny packs, like yeah. yeah. Practicing that. Um, okay. This movie was shot before the pandemic and then it was held for a very long time. 
did a part of you worry that it was never actually going to see the light of day? And what were those months, maybe even beyond a year, like when you are now back as an actor, but your movie that this great opportunity is not out. So you still have to be, I guess, looking for other, other jobs. Like there's no benefit to having had this big project yet. Yeah, we finished it. I hadn't seen it. Uh, they, they wanted to show me, but I was too scared. I said, I don't want to see it until it's completely done. And at the same time, I was auditioning. And again, when I, you know, the landscape is very different now. Instead of waiting like six months for an opportunity to audition, I was just getting calls left and right. The, the, you know, the, the opportunities were coming in. And I was at home like every other actor in America. Uh, I was sending in self-tapes getting all these different sides. And I was just, you know, I was looking for my next job, like everybody. And, and it was a real concern though, right? Like actors, you want to have health insurance, you got to be working. Yeah. So, uh, so I was auditioning, getting nothing again, uh, not even one call back. Uh, I, and, and initially in the beginning, uh, you know, I was auditioning for like, you know, series regular, you know, or a bigger role in a movie. Uh, and as the month went on, this is 2021. I was not getting anything. In, but I, I think I was maybe like 10, 15 auditions in. So, you know, everybody was saying, you know, what's your you know, percentage of landing roles? You know, I hear like 50%, 30%. I was 0 for 15 at this time. <sighs> Fall came, September. Hand landed one single job. I started to get really uh, nervous. Called my agent. I said, please. I said, find me anything. Uh, I need to make the minimum requirement to, to, to qualify for health insurance. And they said, okay. So then now all of a sudden I'm doing, you know, auditioning for voiceover and just bit roles, just like, you know, day play roles where, uh, I'm in it for a scene or two. And I, I, I didn't care. I, I wanted to, I, I needed a couple of jobs to, 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 to meet the requirement. October came. November came and I was so desperate. Sending and I said, calling my agent again. Is there anything? Gosh, I, I'm so, again, like, how can I not get another job? I said, is this another one time thing? Well, and you'd, you've said uh, you, the only people who wanted to work with you? Yeah, and I made a joke. I, I think it was like October, November. Uh, and I knew, I, and, you know, me losing my health insurance uh, looking more and more likely, me landing another job looking more and more bleak. Uh, and, I, and just to amuse myself, I called the Daniels and I said, hey, you know, nobody wants to hire me except Spielberg, Lucas, Wong Kar Wai, <laughs> and the Daniels. <laughs> and, uh, and sure enough, 2021 came and went, uh, I lost my health insurance. Could not get a single job. I was just miserable all over again. Until South by Southwest Film Festival, right? This is in the spring of 2022. Take it from there, please. What was that like for you? It was, I, you know, it was uh, 1,200 people. Uh, I'm, I'm there with my entire EEAO family. And uh, I remember the lights went down. First scene. And uh, it was just really quiet. There were some laughs here and there. The jokes were hitting. And then the fanny pack <laughs> fight sequence started. I looked around the room. Every single one were very engaged. And when that scene was over, 
the applause was so loud. Uh, and I went, wow. I remember that applause. It was 38 years ago at Man Chinese Theater when we, when we premiered Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, when I watched myself for the first time up on the screen. And, uh, yeah, it was, uh, I was really emotional. And it hasn't stopped since then. As I listed all the recognition that you've received over the months since, uh, I guess basically it's all in the last year. Just your, how a life can change tremendously in one year. And the film, now the most nominated film of the year by quite a bit, uh, 11 Oscar nominations. <laughs> We're in the, you know, last two minutes of stuff for me before we take the questions from the students. But I have to ask, that morning you wake up in February and Oscar nominations are being announced. And you find out that for the rest of your life, at the very least, you are going to be Oscar nominee Kihei Kwan. Tell me about that morning. Uh, it was, you know, I, it was my first time watching Life as the Oscar nominations were coming in. Uh, I, I'm, I'm not a morning person, so that morning my, <laughs> my brain was functioning at half the capacity. I got my TV on, and uh, I was on Zoom. I had my iPad in front of me, on Zoom with my EAO family, the directors, and Michelle Yeoh, and our producer, Jonathan Wong. And uh, the nomination was coming in, and all of a sudden I, I looked down to my iPad, and they were all cheering. And I go... What's going on? Nothing's happening yet. You know, they're just screaming. And I go, what? And then 60 seconds later, I see Jamie and Stephanie, she got, got nominated. I'm screaming now. And I look down <laughs> and then they're just like watching, you know, watching the television. And I'm like, aren't you guys happy? <laughs> and then five or six nominations in, uh, our producer realizes that key, I think, your, your feed is slow. You're not watching live. Because <laughs> every time we were just off sync. Right. And I, I, I said, well, what are you talking about? Not, it says live. Live is live. It's live right there. I'm watching live. <laughs> and uh, he said, no, no, no. It, it, you're not live. You're not watching what we're watching. Right. And I go, what are you talking about? And he says, I, I think your feed is 60 seconds slow. And then sure enough, for the rest of the, 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 the nomination, while they were cheering, I would go, whoa, 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 what's going on? What's going on? <laughs> and then when I was jumping up and down, they were just like watching. <laughs> uh, so that was my first experience. But of right. course, you know, when I, when I found out that I was nominated, wow, wow, it was, it was an incredible feeling. Last two things I'm going to ask you. One is not a feel-good question, and the second one is one. The first one is just a, a tough sort of piece of reality intruding on all of this, uh, the real world intruding on all this. What do you make of the fact that at the time of the rise of everything, everywhere, all at once, again, most nominated movie of the year, biggest hit in the history of A24, changed your life and career, really embraced by Hollywood, obviously, uh, people of all backgrounds around the country, somehow... At the same time, we are seeing this terrible rise of anti-Asian hate across this country. How do you compute that? I, I remember well when that happened. Uh, for the first time in my life, I was afraid to go out. And I was in my neighborhood. 
I, I usually do my daily walk around my neighborhood, uh, and I was afraid. Uh, I was afraid for myself. I was afraid for my wife. I was afraid for my mom, who was 84 years old. I, I, I didn't understand it. Uh, I, I didn't know, because we were all suffering. It wasn't, you know, one group of people. And at the same time, our movies, the message of our movie is about kindness. It's about empathy. It's about love. And to see this, it was, it was a painful, painful period in my life. And it's still going on. I hope we can, this is a conversation that, we, that needs to be continued we need to talk about it. And uh, it just pains me so, so, so deeply to see this. I, 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 I hope all of us can rise above it and, 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 and understand that uh, we're all, you know, we're all the same. Uh, it's just, uh, I, I don't know. I don't have, I don't have, but I, I just know that I was, it was a painful period in my sure. life. Yeah. And I, I think the film can only serve as a positive, and, you know and that's yeah. why that's why I love our movie so much and in fact you know the last year since our movie came out so many people have come up to me and 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 tell me how much our story resonated with them and how much it changed their lives uh so many great stories uh and and I'm just so grateful to to uh to all the attention we have gotten, to all the recognition we have gotten, and also just to, to see how, how deeply it, it impacted people's lives. That's the greatest thing. That's why, movie, that's why I love movies. Totally. You know? So final question for me is tell us about, you've deliberately postponed a lot of opportunities so that you could be fully present during this crazy season. However, you have shot a few things and lined up a few things that are very exciting. Can you, for those of all of us who are here, we're excited to follow your career, can, you know, continue to follow your career. What do we have to look forward to? There's some big stuff. You know, for the longest time when I was much younger, uh, there was one question that I feared the most, which was meeting people in person. And then they would always ask this question. <laughs> what do you have? <laughs> what do you have coming up? What do we? What, what can we look forward to? And uh, and at that time, my manager, my agent, coached me into saying that you know, just say you have something lined up, but you're not at liberty to say. <laughs> and I remember every time I say it, I would feel so shameful and embarrassed and dishonest because the truth was I didn't have anything lined up. I didn't have a job. And, uh, and I was so embarrassed by that fact. And one of the greatest gifts playing Wayman in this movie is that he's not afraid to be perceived as weak. He's not afraid to be vulnerable. Uh, and I, it's so liberating to now I can tell you <laughs> that I don't have anything lined up. I don't know what I'm going to do next. I met James Cameron recently. As you know, I, I, you know, I feel so lucky to be able to attend a lot of these events where I can meet a lot of these people that I've only been able to admire them from, from a distance. And he said to me, he says, Key, he gave me three advice. I will never forget it. He said, Key, enjoy the moment. Don't take it too seriously. 
and take it all in. And that's why I don't want to do anything right now, aside from being in the moment, enjoying this day, because how amazing is it that I get to be a part of this season's awards, you know, awards season. It's, it's, it's the greatest gift. It's the most, you know, I, I feel like it's such a huge honor for me uh, to be nominated. And I learned so much. Yeah, I don't have anything lined up. So. Yeah. Well, we're so happy for you. Thank you for this portion of it. And now the, the real fun, if we can take some questions from students. So we're going to start there. Hi, my name is Nora. I'm a, I'm a sophomore screen acting major. And my question is for any young or upcoming actors, how do you not lose sight of that passion and love you have for acting when facing rejection? Because I know in this industry, it's a lot of no's. So how do you not lose sight of that? that love and that passion. Well, when you love something so deeply, it never goes away. Uh, and no matter how much you try, uh, it, it, it will stay with you. Uh, and, uh, and you know, if my story has taught any, anybody anything is that you just have to believe in yourself and you have to stick with it no matter how tough it gets. Uh, and just persevere. I learned that from Wong Kar Wai. And, um, yeah, if you if you wait long enough, things will work out. Uh, dreams do come true. Heike, thank you so much for coming out. My question is, when reading the script and putting your own character into Waymond for Everything Everywhere, how did it feel and how do you feel that maybe you changed with the role in terms of the portrayal of masculinity um, as less of like a super tough like hard-headed thing and is a more of an emotional, like connected with like family and like love kind of role. You know, there's, there's a great article on slate.com uh, by Chris Carnady uh, that, that talks about this again. He, he, you know, he speaks a lot more eloquently than I can, but one of the things that I love about Wayman when the Daniels wrote this character, I think they, you know, they redefine what masculinity is. You know, for the longest time, you know, it was defined, you know, how big your muscles are, the biceps. And, uh, and, and it's, you know, it's just this gold standard of what it has been for the longest time. And I think Wayman has shown the world that, you know, it can be measured by, not physically, but by, my, by emotionally, you know, how much love you have, how much empathy you have, uh, how much respect you have with other people. And I, and I love the fact that I'm, I have this opportunity to portray a character that, that is, uh, is different than what we have seen in the past. To me, I mean, I think what's also great about it, he's not afraid to be the beta uh, male, you know? He's, he's, he, he loves to support the women in his life. And yes. Yeah, you know, yes. The thing is, you know, society puts so much pressure on male to to fit a certain type. And, uh, and I just hope that we can loosen the parameters of what, of what these roles are. And I think that if we can do that, then we can swing the door wide open uh, and create opportunities for everybody, not just for one group of people, not just for Asian actors, but for everybody. 
Hi, I'm Rabani. Um, I'm a creative producing major, but also aspiring actress. And just like you, it's like really hard for me to cry, but hearing you speak from the heart, like can tear me up at any second. Um, I just wanted to say, like, I know, like, like it is tough when you go from shooting like such a big project to not even booking like two liner roles. And the fact that you went back and gave acting another chance, like, was there something that, you know, apart from your wife, like something that you told yourself to get you through that year, even when you weren't hearing any callbacks or nothing? That's a great question. I, I, you know, when I decided to step back into acting, I knew what I had to do. Um, in fact, my agent said this. He says, are you willing to go all in? I cannot have you one foot in the door. You need to go all in. And I made myself promise that. Uh, so even during that, you know, 2021, when I could not even get that role, I wasn't going to give up. I was going to keep on going, keep on trying until I get my second job. There was, that was just, and one other thing too, as an actor, it's hard to, to, to be in a room and audition for strangers. And it's hard to get rejected again and again. And one of the things my wife has taught me is that I have to learn to audition. And I didn't, I didn't like it when I was younger. Uh, but I love it now because I have to look at it as another chance to perform. Uh, so every time I was sending self to I was really happy. Even though I, I, you know, I wish I would have gotten the job. But yeah, I, I, I wasn't going to give up this time around. I, want, I, you know, I wanted to, I just wanted to keep, because I, I guess it stemmed from the fact that I was so hungry to, to do this again. And I wasn't going to, to give up that easy. Uh, and I'm glad I didn't. Hi, Mr. Kwan. I'm Lorna Vu. So you are the first Asian kids I've ever seen on television and the movies. You and Connie Liu from Kids Incorporated back in the 80s. My question to you is, how do you exude so much joy and happiness and transferring it from like what I see you doing interviews on my little iPhone to like here? Everyone's so happy to be around you. How are you doing this? Is it the body movement coach or the squirrel (laughs) in you? What's your secret? Uh, I mean, honestly, I, I, because I feel so grateful to be back. I, I kid you not. And every time I step on a set, knowing what I had to go through to be here. So I would ne- I don't want to ever forget those, those tough times, uh, because it made me stronger. It made me appreciate what I have today, even more and every single opportunity I get. I, I don't ever, ever want to take for granted. That's why when I, when I attend these events, I don't want to be cool and, and pretend like, I, you know, I, you know I, <laughs> I, I, I don't care. I want to go up to all these people that I've admired for so many years and tell them I love them and ask for selfies and, 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 <laughs> and, 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 and you know, because I just want to show them uh, that I love them. And I also want to be, I, 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 it's, it comes from here. I just feel so grateful to be able to do this again. Doing what you love is, is a privilege. And when you want this for so long and so bad, and when it finally arrives, how can you not be happy? You know, uh, I, I really am, so. And by the way, I love, you know, 20 years ago, I was sitting where you guys were sitting. And, and, uh, and, and I would watch all these wonderful guests come here and, and, and speak, and, and I was always mesmerized by it. Uh, and you know what? 
one of these days, you guys are going to be here. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and, and just all the, to, all the, to all the filmmakers out there, make sure when you guys write a script, write for me a role. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Please join me in thanking Kihei Kwan. Thank you all. Thanks for listening to Awards Chatter. We really appreciate it and would really appreciate you taking just a minute more to subscribe to the podcast and to leave us a rating and review on your podcast app and to follow us on Twitter and Instagram, where our handle is at Awards Chatter. On those platforms, we announce upcoming guests and provide details about special live recordings of the podcast that you can attend. Until next time, thanks again for tuning in. America, we are endowed by our creator, With certain unalienable rights, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. At Grand Canyon University, we believe in equal opportunity. And the American dream starts with purpose. To serve others in ways that promote human flourishing and create a ripple effect of transformation for generations to come. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Private. Christian. Affordable. Visit gcu.edu.